Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Tomasetti, and this is the Flight Test Safety Podcast. Just finishing up a turkey sandwich, which makes turkey variation number five for the week. Now, it started with turkey and all the trimmings, and then turkey salad, turkey pot pie, turkey breakfast burrito, which I can't really recommend, and finally, turkey sandwiches. But enough talking turkey. Let's get on with this month's podcast. And let's start off with something we haven't done in a bit, with a look back in aviation history. In November 1959, the first Boeing 720 airliner, a 720-022, registered as November 7201 uniform, made its first flight at Renton, Washington. The 720 was a development of the 707 and no prototype was built. November 7201 uniform was used by Boeing for flight testing and was then delivered to United Airlines in October of 1960. It was later sold to Contemporary Entertainment, owned by singer Bobby Sherman and his manager in January 1973. It was repainted in a gold and black livery and christened the Starship. As a VIP transport, it was used by such rock bands as Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, The Rolling Stones, Alice Cooper, and Elton John. And it was last chartered by Peter Frampton. November 7201 uniform was withdrawn from service in 1977 and after being stored for several years was finally broken up at Luton Airport near London, England in 1982. Test article to VIP transport. Not the typical career path for an aircraft. And by the way, the last flight of a Boeing 720 was on 9 May 2012 when a 720 Bravo aircraft used by Pratt & Whitney Canada as a test aircraft was placed in the National Air Force Museum of Canada at Trenton, Ontario. Had to add that in for my Canadian friends. All right, let's get into our monthly focus. And this month, we're going to pick up with part two of Battle of the X-Pilots. We're going to continue looking back at the flight testing of the Boeing X-32 and the Lockheed Martin X-35 with my good friend, Jeff Pigpen Carnes. Now, back in part one, we covered several topics, being assigned right out of test pilot school to an ex-airplane program, test pilot involvement during aircraft development, integrated test teams, and maintaining flying proficiency when there's no aircraft to flight test. If you missed part one, don't worry, there's a link in the podcast description. This month, we're going to pick up the story with another unique piece of early Joint Strike Fighter history. So what do you do once your airplanes have had successful first flights and are making great progress through the test program? Otter, this is ridiculous. What are we going to do? Road trip. Well, of course, you take a road trip. That's right, west coast of the U.S. to the east coast. Now, common occurrence for commercial airliners for sure, but not something typical for ex-airplanes. So let's move on. We're going to talk about two uh, very specific things that were done in the ex-airplanes. And I think because we can highlight some unique, um, maybe safety concerns and safety challenges that came up and some thought processes we had to go to. And you've already touched on one of them, uh, the fact that we uh, we flew the airplanes cross country. So both the X-32 and the X-35 started out there flying uh, in California uh, on the West Coast. Uh, but uh, versions of the airplanes made it across the United States to Pax River to do some flying there. Uh, and Pigman, I'll just I'll let you kind of describe the X-32's uh, adventure. Let's start off with, you know, why we did that. I'll let you give your version of why the airplanes were moved uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast. And then just talk a little bit about, you know, what went into the, you know, the planning uh, and the execution of the X-32's cross country. Okay. Well, um, obviously, 
the whole program is the Joint Strike Fighter Program, which means you have, you know, the Navy and Marine Corps on one side, the Air Force on the other. Uh, you know, so some of it was uh, the, the fact that both, you know, we're, we're one big joint program, but there are individual uh, parts of the military. So, you know, the Air Force wanted testing done at Edwards, and the Navy Marine Corps wanted testing done at Pax River. So there's already a pool. Of course, the aircraft were all built in Palmdale, uh, so we all started out at Edwards Air Force Base uh, doing the initial uh, test. And then for the for the Boeing team, uh, obviously we wanted to get near sea level because that uh, has better performance for a V-stall aircraft, gives you more margin, and that's something we, we needed. Uh, so... The, the plan, uh, not to mention the the Navy spent a lot of money building a hover pit at Pax River, and they really wanted us to use it. So all those pointed toward you got to take jets to, to Pax River. Um, so planning-wise, you know, there's an easy way and a bad way, and then there's luck. Um, you know, our intent initially uh, would be air refueling behind a KC-10, from Edwards all the way out to Pax, you do it in a day, you know, no, no problems. Uh, of course, you know, during tests, you find out things. Uh, or for the Boeing version, we had the Navy probe and drogue air refueling system. And during initial testing on the X-32A, uh, pilots determined that it was, it was just too dicey. Uh, our, our probe was uh, deployable on the, the right side of the nose. And when you hit the basket, the basket was very near our instrumentation boom on the front, which had all of our alpha beta veins on it. And, you know, it could be tanked, but it was really on the edge. So it was determined for us that air refueling was not no longer an option. So then you have have to come up with plan B. How do you get the airplanes there? Um, And, you know, there's some drivers. It is an X airplane. You know, we can fly up to 30,000 feet. But we had to see visual on the ground the entire time. We only had 9,000 pounds of fuel on the X-32 itself, so your limited range. Uh, most of the legs we planned were uh, less than 400 miles for each leg. So it's going to be cross-country. It's going to be, you know, chased. We had two Hornets, and we, we planned on legs. We had to stop. Only at uh, at uh, military bases, so that limits your options as you cross. So we planned on a four day trip, flying two legs a day. Uh, but then the luck comes in. There was a uh, storm system that went from Canada to Mexico, and within it was thunderstorms. We couldn't fly through that. There was also tornadoes. Obviously, you don't want to be flying in those. Uh, as it turned out, it took us eight days to get across the country because that that weather front we had our entourage consisted of a c-17 for the maintenance a c-12 with the lead a t-39 carrying some maintenance people as well and uh, we had the two hornets and we also had the 747 with the shuttle on its back because they were trying to fly from edwards uh, down to the cape and uh, <laughs> so all this mass is uh, going uh, a military base to military base, and then you have things like an IRS uh, not working uh, when we landed in New Mexico at Holloman. So that took another two days to fix. Uh, fuel pump quit on me at Shaw, so we had to take a couple days there to fix that. 
all that to say it was a it was a big adventure <laughs> to get the airplanes across. I guess if we have time for a funny story, we're, when we were flying from uh, Columbus, uh, Mississippi to Shaw Air Force Base, the weather was really bad. We had to go low with not much fuel. We were trying to descend. Uh, Paul Stone was the Brit who was in the lead Hornet, was trying to get uh, ATC to give us a descent, and she couldn't understand him. She, she actually stopped talking to him. said, <laughs> I don't understand you. I'm not talking to you anymore. So if you can only imagine me and the X-32 on his wing saying, you know, we're low on fuel. we got to land. <laughs> so it's part of the comedy that goes along with, with, uh, with the mission. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I'll give a little bit of a uh, different perspective from the X-35 side. So, and I, I, with you, you know, there was, I think there was some politics involved, obviously, in getting the airplanes um, to fly at both locations. You mentioned from a technical standpoint, th- there was definitely some benefit to getting sea level data. Uh, so, you know, people can say, well, there's, you know, there's an ocean where you can be at sea level in California too. But uh but there was there was a lot that had, as you mentioned, uh, been put into uh, the facility at Pax River to prepare for JSF. So I think when the decision was made, both both companies were going to end up having to put their airplanes there. Now, on the X thirty five side, uh, one big difference is that instead of probe and drogue refueling set up on the X thirty five, we had the Air Force style boom refueling. Not as much concern in terms of you know having a basket that's going to hit and damage things on your airplane. Uh, so we were able to demonstrate that the X-35 was, uh, was fine to fly on that particular mission. Uh, and you mentioned that, hey, if you're going to air fuel, you could, in fact, kind of do it all in one day and get there. So uh, when the discussion was made about the X-35 moving across country, we talked about that and, and how long that flight would be. And I think even at that stage, people knew that uh, before we went and did that for real, we were going to do an endurance flight in the local area just to put the airplane up in the sky uh, for that long period of time, you know, to kind of get some information, not only on that amount of time on the engine, but cold soaking the airplane at altitude, all those things that you want to find out uh, ahead of time before you go do something for real as risk mitigation. But the decision was made that we would probably stop someplace and, you know, just kind of weird that that place that we happened to stop was in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, where there does happen to be a very large uh, Lockheed Martin presence. Uh, so uh, we, we flew the airplane from uh, Edwards to Fort Worth, spent the night, and then I had the opportunity to fly the airplane on the second leg from Fort Worth into Pax River. Uh, one of the interesting things is, you know, my whole life I had been doing probe and drogue air refueling. I had never done boom refueling. So uh, there was some concern about me being the pilot for that second leg of the cross country. So in order to mitigate that risk, uh, one of the Lockheed pilots took me up in uh, the back seat of an F-16 and we went up to go do air refueling. And he said, you've got the controls. And I went and executed the uh, air refueling from the back seat, and you know his assessment was if you can do it from the back seat, it's much easier to do it uh, from the front or from the single seat of the X thirty five. So at that point, I was I was blessed, so to speak, to go on and and do that mission. 
But uh, just like the X-32, the X-35 was a drier plane. Uh, we needed to stay visual flight rules VFR the whole time. And it was really easy on that first leg from California to Texas, from the leg from Texas into the East Coast, not so much. Uh, I do remember waking up that morning, going to check the weather at all of our divert fields along the way. And similarly to XR2, we, we had a requirement that if we were going to put the airplane down intentionally anywhere, it was going to be at a military facility. Uh, and at least two of the divert fields we planned to use, the weather was, uh, was uh, not good and not even close to good. So when I came back and I told the team that uh, we were on hold for weather, um, most of the team just said, OK, and we decided we would you know, slide for an hour. Uh, there was some management and leadership folks around that uh, asked me to check the weather again, uh, so I did. Uh, and then they proceeded to ask me to check the weather about every five to six minutes to see if it was changed. And I mean, I, I was not a meteorological expert, but I was fairly confident that weather did not change that fast. Um, but as things worked out, we, uh, we ended up finally uh, several hours after the initial planned launch time to get to a point where we could actually execute the flight and were able to, to fly it in. So I think, you know, there's some unique things that happened uh, for both airplanes on the cross country. And what we've described hopefully uh, highlighted that, you know, there were challenges, but there were deliberate risk mitigations that were put in place, you know, ahead of time. And then during executions, as things were changed, some risk assessments were made and some you know, decisions made based on those risk assessments. All right. So, so that's the, the cross country uh, particular piece. Now So that's the story of the cross-country flights of the X-32 and the X-35. Not a common experience for X airplanes, but we did experience common challenges, risks, and decision scenarios. Now, I've included a link to a paper I wrote way back in 2001 about the X-35 cross-country in the podcast description. And let me add just a little bit more color to the story from my experience flying the X-35 on its last leg into Pax River. After landing, I was met at the airplane by a large crowd of people local VIPs, program VIPs, media, and many more. After shaking several hands, my commanding officer from the test squadron at Paxter came up to me, looked up at the jet while shaking my hand, and said, nice job, Turbo. Grab a sandwich, then back to the office and get back to work. I guess I would have to wait to finish my 15 minutes of fame sometime later. Okay, we're going to try something a little different. Instead of having to wait another month for the next podcast episode, you can listen to part three of Battle of the X-Pilots next week, where we will talk about some specifics of testing the short takeoff and vertical landing or stovel versions of the JSF demonstrators. Now, this shortens the wait for you and lets me take some time off from podcastery over the holidays. Now, here's a little teaser for part three. You have heard of the pit in the pendulum, the pit of despair. And now you will hear about the pits, the pits of the JSF, JSF program. program. Thank you for listening. As always, I welcome your feedback and suggestions for future podcast topics. And until next time, be safe, be smart, and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time.com the number two, climb.com.